will be starting right around 10 a.m. Hi, how are you guys doing? Anastasia went down for a nap. She was grumpy, grumpy, grumpy. And I asked her very kindly, Anastasia, would you like to go take your night-night now? And she goes, yes. So she went down early for her nap. So no Anastasia to say hi to everybody today. How are you guys doing?
Hello. Looks like there's a few of you that are watching that I'm not friends with. Um, so anyways, hi. We'll start right about 10 a.m. Hi, Linda. We're going to start in about three minutes. Hello, Marilyn and Tom. How are you all doing? Hi, Sandy. Hi, Scott. 
Anastasia went down for her nap early. She woke up at about 6.30 and I was working on stuff in the living room. And she started screaming in her room. So I went and I got her. And she's been up since about 6.30. About 9.35 or so, 9.40. She was just losing it. Just couldn't maintain uh, herself. And so I asked her, Anastasia, do we need to go take a night-night right now? And she goes, yes! So that's what we did. We went down for a nap early. So, unfortunately, that means you don't need to say hi. Hi, Allison. Hi, Dale. Yeah, you can say hi to Eliana. She's here. She was snoozing with Mom until, like, three minutes ago. And they woke up. There's this baby. Can you open your eyes and say hi? I don't think she wants to say hi. You think she prefers napping? Can you show everybody your shiny face? <laughs> there you go. Well, <laughs> alright. Thanks for coming. Can you say goodbye? <clears throat> Alright, it is 10 a.m. So, um, we are going to get going. Alright, um, so, um, I will try to remember to r remind you of this announcement after we're done because think more people are going to join us after we get started here but um i forgot to put um uh, i know don't drop the child yes yes uh -huh. um we feel great we feel um anastasia's been a little bit more moody but her temperature's broken i'm hoping i get results from my test soon so if we did have it we're one of those people that don't really get very sick but um, anyways, I don't have results yet. I got an email yesterday telling me that my results had arrived at the lab and that I could expect results from the lab within 72 hours. So that's the only real update I have on, um, on my test. I hope I don't have it because it complicates my life a lot more for a lot longer. Alright, um, the other, um, the other announcements... Um, is about the men's retreat and about the women's retreat. So men's retreat this year is August 28th and 29th. Um, and the cost is $50 per, per man. Uh, August 28th and 29th. And then the women's retreat, or the women's renew conference, is September 11th through the 12th. Uh, Pre-registration is due on August 15th. Um, in order just to pay the $50, unless you want to register late, then it goes up to $60. Uh, the women's conference, it's going to be uh, probably pretty close to maxed out. They're only going to be able to allow about 50 women uh, to attend. So if you are interested in going, um, huh? What did I say? You said 50. I don't. 
I don't know what my, what I said wrong, but my wife was trying to correct me, and I still don't know. Anyways, um, if you don't get registered in time, it'll cost more than fifty. It'll cost sixty. Um, and now I don't know what I was going with. So, anyways, um, on the fifteenth is when you have to register by. If you would like to go, please let us know by like the tenth of August. Uh, so we can get everybody registered before the deadline. So if you're planning on going, uh, let myself or Bethany know so we know who's going and we know your names. Otherwise, um, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer and then we will get started. Um, the email I got from the JRBC or from the IRBC said 550. That's the most recent. Well, that's the email I remember seeing. So 550 is the number I saw from uh, July 13th or a July 12th email, I think it was. All right, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and then we will dive in. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that we are able to um, slow down and stop all the busyness around us and able to meditate on who you are and how you desire us to uh, live in response to who you are. We pray that as we meditate on um, the sin that we see in Saul's life and the punishment that you give him as a result of his sin, we pray that we would have a desire to Live lives of faithfulness and obedience to you. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel. Um, oh, sorry. Yeah, 550, not 50. Um, hi, Bill. All right. So um, it's kind of interesting. I have two different groups where people are watching. I don't understand exactly why, but okay. I'm going to get my notes up. So I can see, and hopefully I can still see at least some of your comments. There we go. Alright. So 1 Samuel 28. If you remember, last Sunday we looked at 1 Samuel 27 all the way through the verse 2 verses of 1 Samuel 28. And as we looked at that, we saw that David had... Um, fallen into sin and he had begun to look to his own understanding as he began to look to his own understanding to put him in a precarious situation wherein he is in danger of betraying God and betraying God's people and he's been offered a position to go and fight against Israel and then the story pauses and as the story pauses, I think it gives us an opportunity to think about our own lives and to say, how am I living before Christ? How am I living? Am I walking by faith? Am I living by obedience? Am I being faithful to God? That's the question. And in the midst of all this, what happens is 1 Samuel 28 comes up. And 1 Samuel 28 is about the consequences of pursuing the path that David is on. 
David is on a path where he says, woe is me, I'm going to focus on who I am and what I can provide for myself and how I can physically maneuver the situation so that I preserve my life. I'm not going to trust God, I'm going to take the situation into my own hands. And that's really what Saul has done since we met him very early on, 1 Samuel 13, you already are beginning to see character flaws in Saul. And so we get here and we're continuing to see his disobedience continue and God punishes his disobedience. And I think the big idea is that disobedience brings God's punishment. Disobedience brings God's punishment. And so if you and I want to avoid God's punishments, if you and I want to save ourselves from the heartache and the pain that accompanies God's punishments, then you and I must be people who pursue obedience, who pursue faithfulness and loyalty to our Lord. And because Saul fails to do that, he's going to be punished. And you're going to see two different punishments that are really talked about um, in this passage. There's the first punishment where Saul loses his ability to be guided by God. And then the second punishment comes where he's very clearly told, you're going to die tomorrow because of your perpetual disobedience to God. Let's read the passage and then we will uh, dive more into it. 1 Samuel 28 verse 3, all the way through the end of the chapter. Now Samuel had died and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city and Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there is a woman who is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went, and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. Then the woman said to him, Look, you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. And the woman saw Samuel. She cried with a loud voice, and the woman spoke to Saul, saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit. Oh, sorry. Verse 13. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. So he said to her, What is this form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel. And he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. And Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? 
And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me. And God has departed from me and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he has spoken by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled and said to him, Look, your maidservant has obeyed your voice, and I have put my life in my hand and heeded the words which you spoke to me. Now, therefore, please heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have strength when you go on your way. And he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him, and he heeded their voice. Then he rose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it, and she took four, fl she took flour and kneaded it, and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants, and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for its truthfulness. We pray that as we meditate on this passage, that you would help us to see areas in our own life where we have been disobedience to you. We pray that as we see those, that we would have a humble and contrite heart and that we would have a desire to be restored in our relationship to you. We pray that as we are restored, that we will serve you faithfully. In your name we pray. Amen. God punishes. And as he punishes in this first section, what you see is that Saul loses his ability to be guided by the Lord. Disobedience brings God's punishment. It's interesting, as the text begins, and we transfer over to this section where we're talking about Saul, the text begins and it tells us that Samuel dies. And Samuel dies and it's almost like it prompts a religious action on the part of King Saul. Saul looks at the situation, he's like, Wow, Samuel's died. I'm going to do something super religious. And what does he do? Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and the spiritists out of the land. And, and you, you look at that, and you're like, wow. Wow. I mean, this is our Saul, the guy that hasn't walked by faith for a really long time. But he's beginning to make steps that, you know, taking out witchcraft from the land, that's a good step. Maybe he'll turn around. Maybe, maybe, maybe we'll be able to have him be a useful servant of God. And as the text progresses, you learn that 
that's not the case. Saul is who Saul is. And Saul is going to pursue walking by his own understanding. He's not going to pursue living by faith. His, his focus is very similar to the focus that we saw him and his soldiers have in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we've just been introduced to David in chapter 16. And in chapter 17, David's father, Jesse, says, Go see how your brothers and the army of Israel are doing. Take these supplies to your brothers. Take these to their commanders. And David arrives on the scene and he sees this giant, Goliath. And Goliath is challenging and defying the God of Israel. And David stands up and he says, That's not who my God is. I can, I can defeat him. Because of who God is, God will provide me the deliverance. God is the victor in this situation. And he does something that neither Saul nor any of his men are able to do. Why? Because they're walking by their own understanding. They're not living by faith. They're not living in obedience to God. And that's what we see in Saul once again. Saul and the Philistines and Saul's army are gathering, and as they gather, Saul looks out and he sees the army of the Philistines. And what happens in verse 5? He was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. Why? Because of his focus. He's not looking to God as his deliverer. He doesn't live by faith. He doesn't do that. No, he chooses to say, what can I do about this situation? How can I solve this situation? He's beginning to go down the same path that we've seen him go down numerous times. And it's the path that David, the anointed king, is currently on. And has been on for like a year and a half. And Saul inquired of the Lord. And as he asks God for answers, God fails to answer Saul through any means. He inquires of the Lord, and the Lord did not answer him. Now the text goes on to make it abundantly clear that God is not guiding this man anymore. Why? Because he has been disobedient. It's interesting. But this is the man who God gave strict instructions, very clear instructions to, about how to deal with the Amalekites back in chapter 15. What does he do? He doesn't follow them. He doesn't live by them. And then you get to chapter 28, and he's like, oh, what, what do we do? And he's so desperately looking for guidance. And it's interesting, when, when Samuel actually comes and looks at him, he's like, God's already told you what's going to happen. This isn't something that you need further clarification on. You are done. You're done, Saul, because of your disobedience. God punishes the disobedient. And in this case, he punishes the disobedient by taking away the ability to communicate with God. The pain and the fear 
must have been palpable. I mean, imagine being in a situation in which you knew that there was a problem. Maybe there's a health problem that you're facing. Maybe there's a health problem in your family. Maybe there's a car situation where you're like me and you just don't understand cars at all. But you know enough to know that that sound isn't right. And so you take your car, you take your family member into a professional, a doctor, a mechanic. And you say, hey, there's a problem here. And the mechanic looks at the situation and goes, hmm, okay. And refuses to provide you with any guidance. You go to the next mechanic and you exhaust all the mechanics in your state and none of them will actually tell you what the problem is. You exhaust all the medical expertise and nobody will tell you what the problem is. You would be frustrated. How much greater must Saul's frustration be? He is the leader of God's chosen people. And he has had this one-on-one -on -one line with God where anytime he's like, you know, I don't know exactly what I should do, he can just go to God and say, hey God, I'm the leader of your chosen people. What would you like me to do in this specific situation? Sometimes he'd obey and sometimes he wouldn't. But he had that ability and God would answer. And now, God's not answering. The pain and his remorse must have been immense. And I think you see that as his remorse becomes even more immense as the story works on and he learns the mass extent to which God will punish him. The text moves on and with this rebuke, while there's nobody coming and telling Saul in verse 6, hey, you've messed up. You've sinned against God. Get right. Saul should have looked at the situation and gone, you know, there's a problem. I'm not living in obedience. There is past sin that I have not truly repented of. If you remember, every time Saul has appeared to repent, it's been remorse, but it hasn't led him to true, genuine change. And how is Saul going to respond to this rejection by God? How is God, Saul going to respond to God's punishment? And it's not the right way to respond to punishment. I don't know if you've ever responded to punishment wrongly, but I have. I remember um, many, many years ago, back when I was in elementary school, one time we, me and my two older sisters were misbehaving. And we were doing something that we'd been told not to do. And my parents told us one more time, don't do that. And then my parents said, come upstairs, we're going to discipline you. So we had a little duplex, so we walked up the stairs. We lived in the basement, parents had, and the family areas were upstairs. And we get up there, and as we're going up the stairs, I tell my sisters, you know, if you're being disciplined by your parents and you choose to laugh while you are disciplined, it doesn't hurt as much. And so we proceeded down that path, and my parents ensured that long-term it did hurt. 
that initial discipline session didn't hurt, but we rebelled. Why? Because we did not want to submit ourselves to my parents' authority. We didn't want to submit ourselves to the punishment for their, our disobedience. And Saul, in a very similar way, has been rebuked by God. God is not talking to him. And how does he respond to that situation? Look at verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium, that I may go to her and inquire of her. Back up. Hold the phone. Verse 3, what's happening? You have him feigning obedience. He's saying, no more spiritists, no more mediums. We're going to get right with God. Samuel's dead. Verse 7. The very people he said, y'all need to leave this country because this is God's country and we don't want you here. He's saying, Find one of those for me because God won't talk to me. I'm going to go do something that God has very clearly said, don't do. His disobedience continues. And it's, it's, it's very interesting. If you remember from chapter 15, what happens when, when God gives Saul his instructions and tells him, go and kill all the Amalekites. And Saul acts like he's been obedient, right? And what does Samuel tell Saul? Samuel tells Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And how is he going to rebel at this point? As Saul rebels in this text, what is he going to do? He's going to turn to witchcraft. And his servants say, oh yeah, there's, there's a woman here in, in, in Dor. It's a little bit past uh, where they were. He probably had to go through the Philistine lines in some way or right around the Philistines. And it was probably about a four to six mile journey, something like that. And so he, that's why he's disguising himself. Number one, he doesn't want the medium to know who he is. And number two, he doesn't want to get caught by the Philistines. Because if you remember from verse five, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. Why? Because he's leaning on his own understanding. Because... He's been rejected by God, and God has told him, you're done. You're not getting any more information. And so he disguises himself, and he goes along with two of his men, and they head to Endor. And when they get there, he tells the lady, conduct a seance for me, and bring up for me the one whom I shall name. And it's interesting, she responds by fear, right? Verse 9, look, you know what Saul has done and how he has cut off the mediums and the spiritists from the land. Why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die? She doesn't know it's Saul yet. She's going to find out pretty soon. But her fear is very much like Saul's fear. Her fear isn't... This is disobedience to God. God will punish me. No, her fear is there is a political authority that might hurt me because Saul has outlawed this practice. You see the similarity between that and Saul's own actions? Saul looks at the situation. He sees the Philistines and he becomes greatly afraid. Why? 
because he's leaning on his own understanding. He's not walking by faith. He's living in continual disobedience. And ironically, Saul, the guy who has just been afraid and is so afraid that he's willing to blatantly disobey God and pursue rebellion, and not just rebellion, but rebellion that is the sin of witchcraft. It's not just as the sin of witchcraft. It is the sin of witchcraft. He goes and he tells her, as the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. I.e., don't be afraid. <laughs> Isn't that rich? I mean, this is the guy who is sinning because of his fear. And he's enticing somebody else to sin. Why? Because he doesn't see God as the highest authority that he has to walk before in obedience to. He sees himself as the highest authority. And, and any time you or I place ourselves in a higher authority position than God, we're not going to walk by faith. We're going to pursue disobedience. We're going to pursue rebellion to our God. goes on whom shall I bring up for you and he says Samuel and so she begins to bring up Samuel and the woman spoke to Saul saying why have you deceived me for you are Saul and this is when she realizes that the king who has outlawed this practice is the one who is there asking for her to perform this practice and he once again reiterates do not be afraid what did you see she says, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And we don't really understand exactly what shocked her. Maybe it was because these mediums and these spiritists didn't typically see a bodily form with their actions. Maybe they just heard a voice. Maybe it was apparent in some way that typically the demonic activity that she was involved in would bring up an appearance. But it wasn't actually the individual she was seeking. But it does seem to me that Samuel, in physical form, actually appeared to this medium. And that freaked her out because she wasn't expecting to see him. Yeah, she was expecting some sort of demonic activity. But what she saw scared her. And Saul guarantees that it is indeed Samuel by asking, what is he wearing? And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground. And Samuel looks up and he says, why have you come up? And as they begin to interchange their, exchange their, their answers, you see that Saul acknowledges his plight. But he fails to acknowledge his fault. He realizes he's in a precarious, horrible situation. But it's interesting, he still is not acknowledging his own sin that has brought him, that has led him to this position. Saul would never be in this position if he had chosen to live in obedience, if he had chosen to follow after God's heart with his entire being. But he has failed to do that consistently. And so he says in verse 15, I am deeply distressed for the Philistines make war against me and God has departed from me and does not answer me 
anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Once again, this is the guy who God told him what to do in chapter 15. And he blatantly disobeyed and blatantly told Samuel, yeah I, yeah, I obeyed everything that God said I did. And Samuel says, well, what is the bleeding of the sheep? And he's like, oh, those were kept back for sacrifice. But, you know, we kept, no, you didn't. And then Samuel further questions and he goes, what about Agag? And he goes, yeah, we really didn't keep your commands, did we? No, they didn't. It's, it's just ironic that he is now seeking God's guidance when up to this point he hasn't followed it. He hasn't lived in light of it. Are you living in light of the truth that you know from God? Are you living up to, are you living in obedience to what you know that God requires from you? If there's an area of your life where you say, you know, I'm not sure I'm living up to God's standard, then the proper response is not to go and seek more understanding. The proper response is to begin to live in faithful obedience to what you do understand. The next section moves in a relatively dark manner. And once again, it highlights the fact that God punishes. And as God punishes, what is assured is death. Verse 16. So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy? And the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me. For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his wrath against Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. He says, you're going to die. And not only are you going to die, Israel is going to die. And not only is Israel going to die, your sons are going to die. And it's all a result of the fact that you got God's guidance back in chapter 15. And you did not obey it. You did not live in light of it. You claimed you did, you said you did, but you didn't. And so God is going to punish. Are you and I living in obedience to God's word? The text moves on. Saul has found out that the reason why God has stopped talking to him is because it is in God's sovereign plan to have him killed the very next day. And once again, 
look at Saul's response. Saul's response is very different from the response that David has in Psalm 51 after his sin with Bathsheba. Saul's response in 1 Samuel 28 is immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel. And there was no strength in him, for he had eaten no food all day or all night. And he's urged by the medium to eat, and he's urged by his servants. And finally he agrees to eat, and he heads back home. Well, he heads back to the camp. He and the Philistines will have a war tomorrow. And as they battle, Saul will perish. And his sons will perish, and Israel will be delivered into the hand of the Philistines. Disobedience is dangerous. Whether it be disobedience that is like Saul's, that has persisted for years, years, he has lived in blatant rebellion to God. Or whether it be a momentary thought like we saw David have in the very beginning section of verse 1 of chapter 27 where he begins to think, you know, there is no hope for me. If I continue on this path, I'm going to die. God can't protect me. I'm going to take this matter into my own hands. Or whether it be living that out for the year and a half that David lived out his false theology. When you and I begin to walk down this path of disobedience to God, it is dangerous. Turn around. Stop. Live by faith. God has a desire to guide his servants. And God has provided you and I his word. And you may not understand every aspect of God's word, but the parts that you do understand, are you living in obedience to what you do understand? Are you meditating on his word? Are you spending time in prayer? Are you spending time engaging with other believers? Are you spending time seeking to reach out to your neighbors? Secondly, I think that the text demands that we see that God takes sin very seriously and God will punish sin. And so if there's sin in your life, if there's areas of your life where you understand God's word, but you're not living it out, then you're in a very dangerous position. And what God's word is calling you and I to do is to seek to submit ourselves to God's word, to live in obedience and faithfulness. And I think God's further guidance is a blessing that he bestows upon his obedient servants. Why, why, why should God continue to entrust you more when you're not doing what you already know you should do? 
let me challenge you. Let me challenge myself. Examine your hearts. Examine what you know you're supposed to be doing. If there's areas where you're falling short, then repent and seek to live up to what you know. Rejoice in God's guidance and follow it with your whole heart. Let's go, Lord, in a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you for the fact that we are able to look at your word. We pray that we would be challenged and convicted by the truth that you are a God who punishes the disobedient. We pray that we would seek to submit ourselves to your guidance and walk by faith. In your name we pray. Amen. At the beginning of the service, we talked a little bit about the men's retreat and the women's retreat. Um, if you're interested in going to the men's revive, that's going to be August 28th and 29th. If you could have your name and your $50 to me by August 10th, that would be great. Um, that's August 28th and the 29th. The Women's Renew Conference is September 11th and 12th. Uh, once again, if you could have your name and your $50 to Bethany by September 11th, or by, by August 10th, um, so that you can go on September 11th, that would be most helpful for us as we try to get everybody pre-registered um, ahead of time. All right, um, I'll give you a few more seconds to get signed up so you don't see anything unpleasant after this video ends. And uh, we will see you all at 6 p.m. tonight. Anastasia is yelling hi from her crib. I don't know if you can hear her. Anyways, she is saying hi now. All right. I think I've given you enough time to sign off. So have a good evening.